Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for joining us on The Great Exchange, a podcast dedicated to looking at the world through gospel glasses. My name is Maddie, and across the table from me today, Nick Semenovich, I'm excited to be here in your place with our you know, normal recording podcast setup. It's probably been like four months since we've been in this it's room together, so I really appreciate it, and thank you for the tea. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Peppermint tea is handy. Oh yeah, it's great. It's it's kind of a ritual of ours to to have some delicious tea with for me way too much honey in it <laughs> uh, every time we record. So That's yeah, I'm excited nice. to make the drive despite the uh, the snowstorm and and all that. Although the roads pretty clear now, except yeah. for some of these backcountry roads uh, by your place. But yep. um, yeah, no, I'm excited to be out here. Um, how how have you been? Been very well. Uh, been keeping well. Been in the scriptures. Been benefiting from them. Yeah. Uh, as you are well aware, struggling with church issues and everything like that. But that's a whole <laughs> yes. aside and everything. But uh, and I don't think we're the only ones. Yeah. In, in, in that camp. So yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's really nice to uh, be in the same room though, and to um, yeah, be together to discuss the scriptures, to take a look at the Word of God again, to get back into that Word. Um, you know, last week I jumped back into it uh, with you again, but you had quite some time where you were just going solo. You had a funky new intro song there that yeah, uh, yeah, you I put ha- together. I didn't have the music that we <laughs> normally had, so I just grabbed one of the ones that I put together over, you know, the hey, three-month break from work last year. So It worked. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that can be your solo episode song uh, hey. so, so everybody knows. <laughs> everybody knows that they're in for it. immediately turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I think you you made some great content, which everybody can check out at thegreatexchange.ca. That's our website. That's where you'll get three podcasts mm-hmm. each and every week. Um, two from us, uh, one on Wednesday, one on Saturday. Uh, Wednesdays where we talk about cultural or general church issues or go through series. Um, and then on Saturdays, we walk through the Word of God with our faithful listeners um and we continue to plot along through genesis but we also have um a super wonderful special podcast that we put out on thursdays it's our dear friend bryce clausen and he's taken a look at the world through gospel glasses from a 21st century christian perspective um and he's putting together some really neat interesting content so we definitely would hope that you would be checking out his stuff as well um, because Bryce definitely has a really good perspective on um, l- living life as a Christian in this 21st century. So mm-hmm. um, it falls within our mandate to look at the world through gospel glasses. So we are so thrilled to partner with him in uh, in doing that podcast. I'm also really excited to announce next Wednesday, um, so this Wednesday coming up, I, I suppose, we are going to be having our good friend on the podcast once again, Samuel Say, and we're going to be talking a little bit more in depth about critical race theory. We've touched on it briefly. We've talked in passing on it when we've looked at various cultural events that were happening, but we haven't really dived deep into what critical race theory is. Um, We were talking about it before it was a thing that everybody knew about, um, but we were doing so maybe in passing. But we really want to talk to him about how critical race theory is really, you know, when you talk about systemic racism, critical race race theory 
um, is now baked into Everything. much of our systems. So yeah. that's the irony of what we're dealing with. So we really want to talk to him about that. Hopefully you guys can come to a better understanding. And there's not many better who are doing uh, stuff on critical race theory than our dear friend Sam Say, and um, we're excited to talk to him about that. So you're definitely going to want to check that out as well. Greatexchange.ca, go over there, check out all that we've got. But now that housekeeping's out of the way, Nick, can you, as you're so good at doing, set up the context for the text that we're about to look at today? Yeah, so in previous weeks, we had continued through our look at the book of Genesis, and in last week's episode specifically, we had seen the family of Jacob come down from the land of Canaan to the land of Egypt, and there was a great reunion that took place between Joseph, the long-lost son of 22 years, and his father Jacob. It's a wonderful, beautiful reunion, and as we saw that chapter unfold, to keep in mind what was truly happening there, there was the sons that brought a word, but there was a word from God that shored up Jacob's faith. There was a word from his sons that would said, yes, Joseph is still alive, but the word from the Lord shored him up and gave him the confidence needed to make the trip to Egypt. And it was there that God's word was fulfilled. He saw Joseph once again, was filled with great joy, they wept upon each other's necks. It was a wonderful reunion. And just at the very end of the chapter, we see that Joseph was being a mediator, as it were, between what was going to be Pharaoh and the brothers and giving them this plan so that they could remain separate from the land of Egypt, yet still live in the land of Egypt so they would be well cared for and taken care of during the remaining five years of famine that was still to come. So it was a wonderful Sight to see how God still provides for his people when you wait on him and he will ultimately fulfill his promises and keep his word for you. Absolutely. And that really does do a great job of putting us right where we are. So after hatching this plan that they're going to go before Pharaoh, that is exactly what they do. Um, Genesis 47, starting with the first verse, it reads as follows. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as your, our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Mm -hmm. So as we get here into chapter 47, we see that it has been 22 years since you know, Joseph was sold into slavery and the family now has returned to him. And in it, they, they move from the promised land down into Egypt 
and specifically to the land of Goshen. And this is very spe specific and important for the remaining years that the people of Israel are going to be in Egypt, because this is where they are settling. This is where they are going to establish some roots, as it were. And after Joseph reunites with his family, with his father and his brothers, he sends back to Pharaoh to ensure that the family is going to be well taken care of. So that those dreams that took place those 22 years early, earlier are actually being fulfilled now in how Joseph is going to be the ruler over his brothers and his father, but also be the provider for them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and for our listeners' sake, as you may mention, for them to understand where Goshen is located. So Egypt is northwest of Goshen, and Goshen is kind of a small province on the outskirts of, of Egypt. We would understand it is the greater e Egypt area now. Um, and it's kind of nestled in amongst a little bit north um, of the the Nile Delta there, which, if anybody knows that agriculturally, it's very rich and fruitful land because what would happen is every year the Nile would overflow mm -hmm. and the best, it would cover the land in water, in moisture, and the best of the land and the crops and all that would be there. So yeah. um, especially important during this flood, any of that, um, any proximity to water in that sense, or sorry, d not during the flood, during a famine, um, any proximity to water is super, super important. So yes, just nestled in in that southeast portion or kind of adjacent to Egypt is this land of Goshen. So they're in the general greater Egyptian area, but they are set apart, as we made mention, from the Egyptians. So they can have a land of their own. They can spread out. They can have their herds. They can remain distinct as God's separated people, as God's covenant people. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's wonderful to see Pharaoh go to, um, to to see Joseph go to the Pharaoh and to see the trust that has been built up between him and Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh, in this exchange, he asks to see his brothers. He asks to talk to him. He asks for them to advocate for himself. Um, so Joseph brings five of them before him, and, and they speak to him. They tell him the story of them being shepherds. Um, and, you know, obviously he's inquiring, as any good civic leader who's taking an immigrant should, should be acquiring of what they do for work. What can they add to the nation, right? Because slothful, lazy people are sap the lifeblood of a nation. And that's a principle that we need to understand as Christians, right? Uh, those who are not willing to work should not eat. You know, that's a harsh word nowadays, especially as cap or, or as communism is and socialism is more and more the norm and people are um, you know, very sympathetic to it. That's not a Christian understanding of the world. And, you know, uh, Pharaoh's shrewd in, you know, asking them what they do. And, but he's also trusting. He trusts Joseph. He trusts these brothers um, because Joseph is advocating for them. And I also think it's very beautiful to see how Joseph is so willing to advocate to his brothers who have for the last 22 odd years being the scoundrels and what that kind of shows us as a picture of Christ, right? 
though you and I in and of ourselves are total wretches, though we forsook the law of God in word, thought, and deed time and time again as a kinsman redeemer, as a high priest who advocates on behalf of his people, Christ stands in the gap and he is the better Joseph in that sense. So even in this exchange, you're getting to see those little glimpses of the person and work of Christ reflected in the work of, of Joseph here. Yeah. And I really like how you bring all those points up because we saw before um, when Joseph's brothers or Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, Pharaoh told him to bring his family back and they can have the best of the land. Mm -hmm. Right. But in verse three and four, we see that that questioning of Pharaoh to find out what their occupation is, is in a way to safeguard his riches, right? It's in a way to make sure that they're not going to settle in the best of the land and take advantage of the king, mm -hmm. right? They're not going to be those who abuse the grace that's given to them. They're going to rightly handle the graces that are given to them and exercise their abilities to the best that they can. By extension of it, it's also interesting to see how Pharaoh says, well, if they're capable at doing this, capable of keeping livestock, well, why don't they take care of mine as well? Yeah. And that's so it's not just what they come with, but now yeah. he's giving them he's giving them his own. Yeah. And that's wonderful to see that because of how Joseph has treated Pharaoh and kept, he wasn't concerned for himself. He was concerned for all the land which we have placed in and for Pharaoh as well, the one who was over, over top of him in position of power. We see that in the same way that Joseph showed that kindness, Pharaoh is in a turnabout way sort of saying, well, you're like this, surely your family is the same. And if they're trustworthy as you are, then trust, I will trust them with my personal belongings as well. So they're going to be abominable in the sight of the Egyptians, but they're going to be taking care of Pharaoh's goods, which is interesting in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But in this moment here, we're going to see that God continues to provide above and beyond what his own people can provide for themselves. Because in this moment here, there's a famine. They can't provide for themselves. They can't sustain life where they're currently settled. But here, in the abstract place of Egypt, where you would not think that the promised people should be, God is still going to richly provide for them, and he is going to preserve them with a pagan king's goods. Yeah, which is, I mean, we saw that in both accounts with Abram right when he went into Egypt the same thing happened he came out with not only what he went in with but the spoils of the land as well and we're seeing that set up once again yeah. as well and uh, the brothers didn't take advantage of the situation I think that's really important just to make mention of just once more just they didn't presume that well we're in Goshen this is the best land we're going to be here it doesn't matter they still were looking for Pharaoh to place them in this land because they knew it was not for them to decide where they were placed. Mm -hmm. It was up for the one whose authority was to rule over them to say, you're allowed to live here. It just happens to be in the best possible location during a famine. Yeah, no, exactly. And, uh, you know, uh, he, Pharaoh through Joseph, right? The king blesses through that mediator, blesses this group of people, mm -hmm. um, which again is a picture of how the father 
blesses us through the Son. And that really leads us into um, verse 7 here through verse 12. And we're going to see again that the theme that we see over and over again in Genesis, which I just more or less mentioned, right? God's remarkable blessings to his people mediated through the godly line, right? That's been happening since we opened the book of Genesis, and it's certainly continuing now. So we kind of see this remarkable face-to-face account between the Pharaoh, the greatest king in the land, and Joseph, the patriarch of the covenant of God. Um, And it reads as follows. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojournings are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojournings. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents." Mm-hmm. So as we get into these seven verses, we see the interaction that's taking place between Jacob and Pharaoh. And after Joseph has now been assured of the Pharaoh's kindness towards his brothers, to his family there, we see J- Jacob being brought into Pharaoh's presence. And it's very interesting if you think about this, because 22 years earlier, Joseph is abandoned, sold into slavery into Egypt But now he's ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's entrusting Joseph to rule the land and care for it. So in a way, what's happening here in this moment is that his gratefulness is going to be bestowed, Jacob's faithfulness or gratefulness towards Pharaoh is going to be bestowed in a blessing that he gives him. He is wanting to bless the man who so cared for his son, the one whom he loves so dearly. And I think that's really interesting to see how this is brought up because if we remember how Jacob reacts and how Jacob is so invested in the life of Joseph, this just only seems natural. You kept my son alive all these years. Ultimately, it's God who kept him alive. But from just the perspective, that horizontal perspective, we can see that he has great love for Pharaoh just because Joseph is still kept alive in a position of great power and honor as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we really get to see the dignity of Jacob, this blessed aged patriarch in blessing Pharaoh, it's really subversive, right? Because it's the greater who typically blesses the lesser. Mm -hmm. Yet when he stands before Pharaoh, it is he who blesses him. And, like you said, maybe for keeping his son alive, maybe attributes it to that. Um, But I think it's just, it shows 
great dignity on Jacob's part. And it really made me think of how subversive that act is, right? That the, the, this lesser is blessing the greater. And then when I think of, you know, when we were called to pray for old men, even men in authority, the, you know, the, the civil magistrate, even if they're wicked or whatever, and we kind of, you know, we listen to that, but then we kind of think it as a burden. But, you know, in this context of maybe thinking, oh, wait, that's subversive. Mm-hmm. Like God's, because of Christ, through Christ, you are now an ambassador of the king of kings. So you're really in the position of being the greater in mm-hmm. the sense that you, this lowly person, perhaps, I don't know your estate, yeah. but all Christians, no matter where they are, they're in the position of, as ambassadors of Christ, the king of kings, of blessing the men and women in power across the world, right? Because we actually, on God's economy, are the greater, mm-hmm. right? So though earthly speaking, and this is something we've been looking at over and over again in Scripture, you see the line of Cain gets off to a really hot start, right? They're doing all the cool stuff. Um, yet from God's perspective, the truly righteous line is the one with the greatest riches, with the greatest inheritance, yeah. and with the the true standing right so that's just something to keep in mind as you're kind of looking at this account too and i thought you know this maybe i need to look at you know even just blessing and praying for (laughs) these civil magistrates is a blessing that's god's given us and it really is this subversive act Mm -hmm. yeah i think there's something really there as well because if you really think about it, we are co-heirs with Christ. Mm-hmm. We we have the authority of God with us as his representatives. And though we, we're not, you know, those word faith preachers who, you know, say we're little gods and we have the authority to call things into existence or anything like that. Yeah, manifest yeah. and whatever. N- none of that. That's all garbage. It's not <laughs> yeah. biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we see in the life of a Christian is because we are sons and daughters of the king, we actually have the opportunity to pray for those who in a horizontal, in a temporary sphere, have a ruling over us, which from their perspective and from God's perspective, they're gonna be, there's a greater weight of responsibility held upon them and a greater judgment to be met upon them in their actions and what they do during their lives. What's interesting in keeping that in mind is how Pharaoh addresses Jacob. And he says, well, how long have you been alive, mm-hmm. right? Well. How Jacob answers is very telling of his frame of mind. He's not thinking about this life as the end-all, be-all. He's focused upon the life that is yet to come. And And that's what usually happens when you come to the end of your life. I'm sure you've talked to people who are older, and they think about, they talk about the joys of what's yet to come, you know, eternal life with God. But they also think of all the hardships and everything that have come before, some great times of sorrow, some great times of joy. But what Jacob says here is that he's lived a life, but he has another destination that he's soon to reach. So he says, the years of my sojournings, mm-hmm. right? He's not looking for a permanent home here and now, as we are so prone to do. He's not looking for a permanent place to settle in Goshen, because this isn't his final resting place. 
he's looking forward to the world that has no foundations, you know, the one that is set up by God. Yeah, as it says in Hebrews, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really important to understand, too, he was settled in Canaan. Yeah. Right? That was the... The promised land. The promised land. But even he, like the patriarchs before him, as he makes mention in the same language, right? The days of their sojourning. Yeah. They were looking to a better nation, a better city whose builder and foundation is God. And so if the patriarchs understand this, that they're looking forward to a better land, that this promised land is just a type mm-hmm. of the the new heavens and the new earth, the, the land that is to come in, in the consummate heaven, new heavens and new earth. If they understand that eschatological significance and, and that typological sub- significance, it is rather shocking today that we see so many holy wars over a stretch of land when that stretch of land in its in and of itself is not a holy land per se, but it is what it's pointing to. That is truly what men ought to be living and fighting and dying for. And that is a kingdom that cannot be built by human hands and, and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Question 88. What are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? Answer. The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Do you love listening to The Great Exchange? You can subscribe to our podcast on any one of these podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, and have two engaging episodes delivered to your mobile device each week. Our midweek message covers a myriad of topics and teaches us to look at them all through gospel glasses. And our Scripture Saturday episode is just that, an opportunity to study the Bible one passage of Scripture at a time. Miss an episode? Visit our website, thegreatexchange.ca, and you will find the complete back catalog of our episodes. And don't be shy. We love to hear from you, our listeners. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram, or if you're not social media savvy, send us an email to thegreatexchangepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for joining in our ministry as we help you look at the world through gospel glasses. Yeah, it's a kingdom that cannot be taken away by governmental force or anything either, right? Mm -hmm. And this is why, you know, the common phrase is the church isn't a building, it's a people. Mm -hmm. We just happen to meet in a building, but say the building is taken away, it burns down, whatever it is, it doesn't refrain the people of God from still looking forward to the eternal home that they're destined for. Because when you look back on your life, you can you can echo what Jacob is saying here. He's saying, well, the days of my life are few and evil. Yeah. And when you compare his life to those in Genesis 5 that, you know, yeah, not, even his Methuselah, father, yeah, 969 yeah. years and, and all those, those Relatively people. Relatively speaking, there have been very few. <laughs> he's yeah. alive for 130 years at this point in time. That's nothing. There's people who are just having kids yeah, at, at, that, at time. that time. So yeah. you think about how short his life is in comparison. 
But even in comparison to Methuselah, who lives 969 years, compare that with eternity. Mm-hmm, yeah. 969 years terrible. is nothing. No, exactly. Right? And yeah, and and I mean, there is, you know, between the already and the not yet, living in this fallen, broken estate of affairs that we are currently in, um, our days, everybody, are evil yeah. in one you know, in one respect or another. But if you look back on Jacob's life, you see it was a life that was uniquely marred by tragedy and, um, you know, internal family divides. And he seemed to always be set over and against somebody, um, either in his household or outside of it. And, you know, as we talked about on the last podcast, during this entire, you know, more than two decades that he hasn't seen Joseph, he's been really a grieving father who has lost that son of promise, right? He's um, lost that zeal. Even, yeah, right? a, yeah, and you can kind of see that everything is tenuous. Everything's been, you know, it's as though he's like living without essential organs <laughs> on his body, yeah. you know? I, I always see this sort of situation. It's It's almost like... There's a cloud in the sky always shadowing the sun mm-hmm. from shining on him at, yeah. all, at all times, mm-hmm. right? There's glimpses when the sun comes out, but it's a cloudy day for the most part for, for the life of Jacob. And that's, I think, kind of the idea that he's really setting up here is that, no, there are times where God has revealed himself to me and it was a great joy, right? You think of the time where he's leaving, fleeing from Esau and he has that dream, and it's, oh, the Lord's in this. I didn't even know it, right? Mm-hmm. A moment, the shining light just comes bursting through the clouds. But then he ends up working for Laban for 14 years and just difficulty. And it's like, where's the sun shining? And then he leaves. And then the sun comes back onto the scene as God appears to him and speaks to him again and renames him. And now again, just as he's going out of the land of Canaan, where there has been all this hardship, God appears to him after he makes that sacrifice and it's like that light shines on him once again and he's just filled with the presence of the Lord. The Lord is always present with us at all times, but there are specific moments in our lives where we truly feel that the Lord is truly near to us. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way of looking at it. We could kind of, if we're doing a broad look at Jacob's life, we could say his life was a cloudy affair with brief, intense, punctuated moments of bright, vivid, divine light shining through, right? The clouds. Um, And I think that would be a, you know, very accurate way of describing what we kind of have been looking at over this, you know, wide swath of chapters here in Mm -hmm. the household of Jacob. Um, And so you see coming in and going out in the text, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And then after leaving this presence, after this divine appointment, after we see, you know, everything that's coming to pass in Joseph's old dreams, (laughs) you know, um, we see that Joseph takes his family and sets them up in the land of Goshen, specifically in Ramses, in Ramses, which is the best portion of that province. 
And what it says is Joseph provides his father, his brothers, his father's entire household with enough food, not only for them, but all their dependents. Yeah. Everything that they've needed, they've been provided in this land. Um, And that's through the insanity of the circuitous event that (laughs) led them into Egypt. And now they're in this land but being blessed by the Lord in in mighty ways. Yeah, and I I really appreciate how the text points us out that, you know, because Jacob is kind of fading out, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's near the end of his life here. You know, even as he said when he saw Joseph, now I can die, right? Yeah. Um, we see that Jacob is no longer the primary caregiver for the family. It's been given to the next in command, as it were, which mm-hmm. is Joseph. Yeah. Um, because Jacob's also not able to actually provide for his family. He's not in a position. He has no mm-hmm. authority. He has he has nothing. Yeah. He had his family and his flocks. That's it. But Joseph is given that role of provider. He's, he's the caregiver. And it's out of the abundance of love that he has for his family that he provides for them. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think it's a very crucial thing that we consider because... We ought to care for our own families in the same way if we have the ability and the opportunity to do so. Because if we neglect caring for our own families, Scripture says that's being worse than an unbeliever. Because even Pharaoh cared for the family of Joseph. And this, in a small way, points us ultimately to our great and heavenly sustainers, right? Uh, Jesus Christ, he, he serves us and he serves us each and every day with the things that we need. And in the same way, this is a small picture of the exact same thing that God does for us. He provides for us as part of his family, even in difficult times. But we, as the benefactors of God's blessings, ought to be those who do the same thing for those nearest to us, the people that have raised us, especially when you think of aging parents or those parents who maybe have Um, difficulties that are going through their life and you as a child maybe have opportunity to help them. Say you have brothers and sisters who are on hard times, nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever it is. We are to be those who best provide for our family because we are the ones who are supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ to the world, primarily to our families. And I think that is something we really need to pay attention to in this text. Yeah, man, I I think that's really well said. Um, Though we kind of set out in the still small voice in our heart to finish chapter 47, I think this is a great part to just set her down. Um, Now that we've seen this divine meeting between um, Joseph and his family, his brothers and his father, um, and we see the truly greater bless the lesser, mm-hmm. right? Heavenly speaking, because, right, the blessings that we can give others by God is far greater than man can give to us, even if they're the king of Egypt. Yeah. Um, after seeing this and then seeing Joseph again through the craziness of this entire situation. I know it might be hard to keep the eyes on the ball of everything that's happened over this time. He's now set his family up. He's now, his dreams have been fulfilled and his, his descendants are settled in the land that was 
you know, promised all the way back in Genesis 15 to Abram yeah. that they were going to be settled, settled in a land of a foreign land and they're going to be established for some 400 years. This is kind of the beginning of that. And now, as you may mention, we're seeing the transition that's kind of been happening over the la- last little while to the end. It'll happen to the that'll be the main focus from here on out in Genesis um, transitioning into handing the baton down to um, the descendants of, of Jacob uh, to Israel. So we will finish chapter 47, Lord willing. Uh, next time we'll take a look of Joseph and the famine again and his shrewd handling of the whole situation um, for the benefit and betterment of the people. And, uh, you know, we just are so thankful again to get the opportunity to walk through the text together, to look at this portion of scripture. We hope you were blessed by it. Nick, do you have anything to say by way of conclusion? Uh, The only thing I want to just kind of add on here as well is that this text, I know we've made mention it, you know, several times throughout the podcast is again, this is written for those people who are coming out of the land of Egypt, they're going into the wilderness, who are, who are in the wilderness at that point in time in Exodus, looking forward to going to the promised land and seeing how even in the life of Jacob, he wasn't set on staying in the land of Canaan. That was not his, his eternal dwelling. Should give the readers and the the ones who would first get this book to understand that even though we're going back to the land of Canaan, this isn't our eternal home. We have something greater to look forward to. That's a principle I think we need to understand as Christians because this world's in chaos. We thought, and I'm sure a lot of us did think, things were going to be easy for some time in the future, at least the greater part of our lives. And that's not becoming the case. Mm-hmm. And excuse me, as as we look and see things, we need to remember that there there is no, as it were, safe haven on earth, no place where we can establish roots to last for an eternity. We have a better home waiting for us, one that Christ is preparing for us, and that is to where that is where our hope is found. Our hope is found in Christ and what He has done and what He will do for us yet in the future. And if we start setting up, you know, this temporary life as the thing to which it's going to bring us the most joy, it, it becomes an idol. And we end up serving that idol and compromising on our faith. And that's something we cannot do as Christians. We need to be able and be willing to part with all things that we might have more of Christ because he is all we need mm-hmm. in the ultimate grand sense of everything because he is the one who's given us life. He's sustaining us. He's provided a wonderful salvation, which we cannot even plumb the depths of. We're going through Ephesians, the church. Yeah. He's been raised to the right hand of God, the father, that yeah. he might be all in all. Yeah. Right. He, he's our mediator. He's yeah. our advocate. He, yeah. He's everything. And the more we put our eyes off of him onto anything else, the less majestic he is. And yeah. we really need, as Christians in this day and age, to get a better glimpse of Christ. Mm-hmm. And you can get that by looking through any book of the Scripture, any any book from Genesis to Revelation. You're going to see him in, you know, strokes in the Old Testament, but they're, they're going to be a greater revelation of him in the person of Christ. But we need to look at all Scripture to see all of God because he's revealed to himself uh, himself to us in all of scripture. So 
as good Christian students of the word, we need to be in the word, praying that God would continue to illuminate us by it so that our affections would be changed, our desires would be changed, our hearts and our minds would be shaped by scripture to truly love him and long for that day when we will be with him, not just for a moment, not for a season, but forever. Absolutely, man. Well, well said, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can check out more like this, thegreatexchange.ca. Three different podcasts each and every week coming to your podcast catcher. So you're definitely going to want to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've been having some issues with Spotify, but I feel like we'll be able to figure that out. We did what they told us to do, and still we're not on there, you know. If things went uh, sideways when we talked to Brother Aaron Rock, and I wonder if that, that's not a, that, that might not be a coincidence. Um, but anyways, uh, we do hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can check out everything that we've got going on, thegreatexchange.ca. Definitely go over there and check it out. Thank you so much for listening. We really enjoy bringing these podcasts to you. And as we say at the end of every podcast, it is finished. <laughs>